Dr. Gundula Rhodes was born and educated in Germany. After earning her veterinary degree in 1991, she moved to England and worked in a small animal practice for two years, then a mixed animal practice for five years. She moved to New South Wales, Australia in 1998. She and her husband raised Angus bulls. In 2002, she started Gallery Veterinary Clinic, a mixed animal practice. It was initially located on the ranch and eight years later moved to a new location in the town of Inverell. Dr. Rhodes was raising three children as a single mother while both practicing veterinary medicine and running the ranch when she decided to convert the ranch to organic. In that journey, she has become an expert on soil health, regenerative agriculture, gut health, and the relationship of food to both human and animal health. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Rhodes as we discuss her education, her move to Australia, starting a clinic from scratch, challenging conventional norms in ranching, and her new book, The Food Solution. Dr. Rhodes, it's just wonderful to talk to you today. Yeah, thank you. It's really lovely to, to get connected to, to you. So where did you grow up? I actually grew up in a very big city in, in, in probably one of the most industrial parts of the world, but I always had this longing for country. I spent my summers in the country uh, on, on my uncle's farm, and that was calling me. I was good at science, and you know, so eventually I got into vet school. Not eventually, I got straight from school into vet school, and that's by, been my journey ever since. Yeah. And did you enjoy vet school then? Yeah, absolutely. I loved vet school. Um, it was great. I think we all do. <laughs> it's a great time of our life. And uh, yeah, you make a lot of friends and connections and you learn a lot. So that was in a very old vet school in Hanover in Germany. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we had the cows and the horses on campus, which was just beautiful. Mm. Did you know what kind of medicine you wanted to practice when you graduated? Um, yeah, I was, you know, I was, I wanted to do mixed practice. I enjoyed the cattle and the horses and the smallies. You know, I've I've been always a jack of all trades. So wow. to be a vet really serves me well. Yeah. Um, where did you go after you graduated? To England for seven years and uh, worked in first a small animal practice in a, in a coastal town in Cornwall uh, or near, near Cornwall in Devon. Very pretty. And then I went for another five years to a mixed practice. And then I met, yeah, and after that, I met my husband over there and came over here to Australia. Ah, so why did you decide to go to England after school? Um, because I think I was young and keen to really keen to learn and to do really good medicine. And in Germany at that time, believe it or not, because Germany is always so far advanced technologically than, you know, than a lot of other countries, but not in the veterinary medicine field. So in Germany, we still had these little tiny, this is going back to 1991, 92, when I graduated. Mm -hmm. um, so there were a lot of single-handed practices, no anesthetic machines, you know, no blood testing equipment. And I was just really keen to do it properly. So I applied in England and I got the first job that I applied for. And that's sort of how my career started. What's yeah, in a bigger clinic. Mm. So it was a bigger clinic. How many veterinarians were there? We were four. Yeah. And you spent yeah. a couple of years there? Or how long were you there? Seven. Seven. You were seven. Seven all up in England. In England, yeah. yeah. But how many in that yeah. first practice? How many years in that two? first practice? Yeah. Yeah, two. Mm. And then into mixed practice. Yes. Was yeah. that in the same location or a different part of England? 
no, same location, very close. Yeah, very pretty. So I had the the beautiful James Herriot experience where I would be in Dartmoor with a bottle of wine at night, stitching up horses and, <laughs> you know, and doing lambing. So it was very romantic and very, very lovely to be in that environment. It's it's Hobbit country. It's, um, you know, the where Tolkien used to live in Dartmoor. And yeah, so very, very super nice. I had a good time there. And then you met your husband. Yes. How did you meet? Did. In a pub. In you know what English pubs are like. You know they're very homely, and uh, so yeah, he was just there, and he was this big, uh, loud Australian. Australians can have the tendency to be very loud, and I think after having lived in England for a few years with the very reserved English people, it was a fresh of breath air to have this bloke standing there. You know, like we breed cattle. You know, and we breed beef. And I said, right oh, you can have me. You know, sort of like very much um yeah that sounds like a good adventure yeah so what yeah. was he doing in, what was he doing in england uh fishing ah <laughs> so he was a fly fisherman and so he was there fishing with a friend and i knew the friend and you know one thing led to another yeah and so i started my australian adventure so what year did you go there 98 all right and then what sort of practice did you go into practice then when you when you went to Australia? Yes. Yeah, I had to do my Australian uh qualification, mm -hmm. which was quite stressful, but I did it. Um you have to in Australia you have to do multiple choice tests on two days. That that was then, you know, it might be different mm -hmm. now, you know. And then I had to do a whole week where I had to just really get through everything again. Uh chicken medicine, poultry, mm -hmm. pigs. Uh, statistics, you know, all the things oh. that we think we have done and mm -hmm. don't have to do again, you know, yeah. so I had to do them all again, which probably didn't hurt in the long run to go through everything again and to learn again, you know, and I yeah, passed the exams and then I entered a mixed practice here in this little rural town where I'm still living. Mm -hmm. And then I had one, two kids started my own practice for a number of reasons and um, yeah, started in a shed on the farm with no money and worked my way up. And now we are four vets and, you know, I've got, I built a purpose-built clinic, which is quite beautiful. And yeah. Yeah. So, so what was it like starting a clinic on your own farm? Um, it was, Oh God, I have to think back now. It was, well, it was all a big adventure because at that time my father-in-law had died and the sister-in-laws wanted to, uh, you know, get their money to be paid out. And so it was just really a turmoil, chaos on on every, um, yeah, on every corner. We were breeding bulls and mm -hmm. we took over the running of the farm. And then in this little shed, I had my my practice with no money at all because of all the, the family things, you know, the yeah, just the chaos that was there financially with people wanting to pet out and succession planning on a farm did was not thought about. So I had no money to start. So yeah. my parents lent me 20000 and my auntie nine. And so I started a clinic with $29,000, wow. which was um, I bought an anesthetic machine because I wanted to, to get that right. I definitely wanted an ECG. 
I didn't have a computer because I couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. um, and I still did handwritten cards and, but I wanted the good medical equipment. Yeah. And so we, yeah, I, it was, I did that out on the farm for seven years and um, built, built it up from there. Yeah. One after the other, after the other. And it was, it was full on because I had two little children and then three little children. And uh -huh. so I literally was a vet that had a baby on her back, yeah. you know, doing a bitch spay and, like going pregnancy testing with a child that I was nursing mm -hmm. to um, sort of like do a hundred cows. And when they would be screaming too much, I would be feeding and, you know, like it was pretty extreme, yeah. but it was good. It was quite an adventure. Yeah. How, how long before, after you started the practice, before you could add another veterinarian then? Oh, quite a few years on the farm. I did it by myself. Yeah. And I was on call. So I've, done it 10 years on call every night and every weekend but because uh, it was pretty extreme but because my marriage fell apart and then I started running the uh, farm as well because mm -hmm. like three kids and a clinic are not enough to do yeah <laughs> you know, yeah so I ran the farm and I ran it badly you know I'm not saying that I did a good job at all um it was I was pretty stressed you know but it's like as a vet, it's stressful anyway. And yeah. to do cesareans, somehow I had a lot of cesareans at that time, uh -huh. probably because some breeders that, you know, like thought it would be a good idea to go to a little vet on a farm might be, I don't know. I don't know why I did a lot of cesareans yeah. you know, and colleagues at night. And then we started horse breeding and collecting semen and doing AI in mares. And so it was, it was lovely. It was growing. It was learning. Uh, it was extreme, but I did that for about seven years. And then I, yeah, in that time I converted the farm to organic as well. And yeah. when you run your own cattle and when you run your own farm and you have to do the finances and the fences break down and, you know, you really then start to know what it is like to, to you know, run this and try to make a profit or not go broke, you know. And yeah. as I said, I didn't do it well, but... I have got an inquisitive mind. So I start to learn the organic standard and I learned about the soil. And mm -hmm. even if I never had the finances to turn my farm around and really get the, you know, the biology pumping, I learned the principles. Yeah. And um, I learned about how the soil functions. And that was sort of coinciding with the worldwide discovery of what the soil actually does. And yeah. That, as you know, was the same, you know, let's say from 2010 to 2020, when we learned about the gut microbiome as well. Yeah. And so all of this knowledge was formally not there. So I was right in the middle. I was very lucky that I had some very good, interesting people in this area that are all very ingrained in the uh, regenerative agriculture world. And they then were my teachers, but yeah. everybody was learning at the same time. Uh -huh. So it was pretty exciting, you know, and then. Finally, I I had to get real in earning money properly for huh? me and the children, and they started a, a, a you know I built a clinic in town, a purpose built clinic. Yeah, and that I might share actually also how I did that because I still didn't have any money. Yeah. Um. So my friend had the idea and uh, that we could take pension fund money to build my clinic. And this might be a good idea for other people. You're like, how do you start a clinic yeah. without banks and without 
um, without finances. You know, like yeah. we are all there. We come out of vet school. We want to be veterinarians. And then it's like the finances and the, the reality hits. So my friend had the idea uh, that we take other people's, we call it superannuation. Mm-hmm. In um, I don't know what you call it in America, but it's like the pension fund that you pay in. Yeah. And you can either put your money into, you know, big business, right on, whatever, Exxon, Valdez, BHP, which in most cases, you know, are not good for the environment either. Yeah. Or you can have a self-managed super fund. And that's what we did. We took our money that we had in superannuation and mm-hmm. I didn't have any, but yeah. the other three parties that got involved did. So I was the only one that borrowed and we put the money into a big pot Mm-hmm. And that system worked, you know, so my clinic pays money as rent and that yeah. goes and gets distributed to the shareholders. And so that was one way of how I could actually open my own clinic yeah. without having money to back me up and without the banks really having their, um, you know, their power over me. Yes. You know, so... Do you remember that, that Tony Robbins? You don't need you know, resources. You need resourcefulness. <laughs> right, right. Do yeah. you remember what sparked your interest in in taking the farm organic? Oh, I have since I was a child. I have been an environmental concern, environmentally concerned person. Yeah. Like in Germany, we were probably 30, 40 years ahead of Australia. Mm-hmm. And probably 10 or 20 years ahead of England in our environmental awareness. So when I went to school, we learned about uh, lakes, you know, waterways collapsing because of too much phosphorus. Mm-hmm. And we learned about acid rain. And uh, climate change was not there then. Plastic pollution started. Pollution started. You know, so I was then already green, um, mm-hmm. you know, like with a green attitude, concerned about the environment. My mother got cancer when I was 20, when I was at uni. And that was probably a pivotal moment when she had breast cancer. And she's a teacher and she also has an inquisitive mind Mm -hmm. that won't stop thinking. So she actually started me off on thinking about food and about whole foods. There was a German doctor called Dr. Brucker and he had a book like How to Heal Your Life. And he said, I will not even start treating somebody if they change their diet to wholesome and I've talked in my book about that a lot, you know, what does actually wholesome mean? So yeah. that was um, in the mid 80s, right? Early 90s, maybe. And we did, I knew nothing about farming. I knew nothing about how food is grown. Yeah. Nothing at all. You know, it appears on the table. You eat what you eat, you know, and yeah. that's about it. You know, like, okay, a green salad made out of just lettuce. That's good, you know, and mm-hmm. um no idea. But then the growth started about learning about whole foods. What do we do to our wheat? How do we extract, you know, the or how do we throw away the goodness in the milling process? What do we do to the fats? And so my mom is still fine. She is amazing. She is 83 and she is still as fit as a fiddle. So, you know, she's been eating organic ever since. And I have too. So even as a student, I had my flour mill. And my old roller and great investment because they're still going 30 years later. You know, wow. they are still yeah. grinding my flour. So I've always eaten that way. You know, like that is my, I was very aware, but I didn't really know what's happening on farms. Yes. And Roundup only started in 1991. Mm-hmm. 
and genetically modified food only started it started in 1996 or 97 so when our bull our bull breeding we had beautiful angus bulls we were yes. selling about 100 mm -hmm. but then when the family fell apart um all the bulls suddenly got castrated and i had no bulls and i thought great opportunity you know let's become organic because i don't really care that much about what a bull looks like or about genetics mm -hmm. i was always much more about the awareness that 80% is nutrition 20% is genetic yeah in australia we go permanently chronically through the next drought and another drought and another drought so what are we actually talking about you know like when i feed my cattle um, it's the quality of the grass. And then that turns out to be the quality of the soil that tells me, you know, that makes them either reach their genetic potential mm -hmm. or they stay really little. And I had so many experiences in my life where we sold our cattle to a friend of mine down the road, which was a bad block of land. And her cattle were came back to the farm later they were a year older and they were half the size let's say that's uh -huh. exaggerated you know but wow that's nutrition it's yes genetic potential maybe but everybody wants to breed the best genetics the best genetics are nothing if you don't have good feet you mm -hmm. know a good working rumen you know to make it all happen so yeah, it was just a thing of my heart to to save the planet, and I still do. You know, this is why we're sitting here now because I'm driven to doing something for the environment. And once I then understood the principles of it, you know, that farming can either be the savior or the or the killer of planet Earth. Yeah, you know, that's when. Yeah, but that took a long time to form. So yeah, so I was passionate about the environment. And food. Mm. When you're making these changes on the farm, how did you design? Did you do anything intentionally when you built the practice to uh, embrace those principles as well? Uh, yeah, I have got uh, solar panels everywhere. Mm -hmm. I've got a beautiful garden outside, so I actually look outside my operating theater and I look, you know, onto, onto my flowers, which is just so lovely to be in a clinic that is not sterile and cold. So I have big windows everywhere. I have got, um, I don't know, it's just a nice place to be. It's very warm and it's not clinical because to me, it, I don't want to have a scary practice, you know, where it's just like disinfected and cold and steel and super modern. So it's a very cozy place. Um, it works beautifully, you know, but it, it really is nice. Um, I do not round up. I don't use round up. So it's, yeah. uh, it's not perfect. You know what I mean? There's yeah. sort of like my edges with my grass and my garden are not perfect. So, but I, I am such an, uh, round up opponent, you know, that I could never do that, you know? So I run, this is, this is my way of showing everybody, like I live by my principles. I will not make it pretty and precise here. It's It still looks great, you know, but that's one thing. Um, I have a clinic that does not have any Hills Science diet or, mm -hmm. you know, like a lot of clinics have got a, a whole wall of commercial food. Yeah. And I just will not sell it um, because I really know I'm of the conviction that the ingredients in it and how we make it 
is substandard. Doesn't mean that I convenience for a lot of people is still there, you know, but I just do not advertise it. I will order somebody a bag of Hills CD if they want to, mm-hmm. you know, or if if I can't work it out in any other way or they need that, you know, and that's fine, you know, but my conviction is different, you know, so I do a lot of nutritional consultations where I try to, you know, teach people how to do that properly. I'm doing the, this is how I got onto the CIVT because I did the nutrition course. Yes. You know, with um, the two Barbaras and people. Mm. Just did your, your, your inclination in your, your changing of the farm to organic, did that change the type of producers you worked with then on the farm? Yes, a lot of them left me. <laughs> um, yeah. We then had the drought. I don't know if that came. You probably did get some news items about that. You know, we mm-hmm. had the drought that broke in 2020, not long ago. Now we have a lot of rain. And before that, we had the worst drought in history. And um, I started talking about climate change then. Um, it wasn't so much when I turned organic, you know, that wasn't really widely advertised, you know, but when Mm -hmm. I started to talk about climate change, when we were really in the middle of a drought a few years ago, that's when a lot of my farmers actually turned away from me. There might've been other reasons as well, you know, that I couldn't, we have a vet shortage in this country. Mm -hmm. So I just didn't get any veterinarians that were good at large animal clinic. So I was the only one that still could go pregnancy testing or bull testing or doing a carving. And there's another vet clinic in town that took, you know, they're they're a bit more, you know, they're farm boys, you know, Mm -hmm. five or six male veterinarians. And I'm quite happy to let them do that now. Yeah. Um, but there was, it's a very conservative area here. Uh, farmers are a lot of the times very, um, I think it's the same in America, you know, where somehow the climate change opponents, which will turn out to have been Exxon, Valdez, Shell, whoever was behind, you know, the advertising campaign to turn the political opinion uh, against believing in climate change you know like you know it's the sunspots it's bad luck we've always had hot days and when you are a scientist like you and I we know that that's not true you know like we know what we've done to the environment and that we actually as people as humans have to take responsibility for what we have done and therefore then when you take responsibility what you've done you look what has happened and then you can do something about it you know but here in this area uh, the farmers are very much against that line of thinking, and were so I actually felt a bit like a pariah, yeah, in this town. And then it's like coming from Germany, you think bad things happen when good people do nothing, yeah. Um, so I decided to voice my opinion in a gentle manner, if I, um, but not not say anything and that looked like that i then had a couple of radio shows in town mm-hmm. um so <laughs> every morning <laughs> the, i thought 7 30 is a really good time for all the school kids to sit there and i called it thousand little ways a thousand ways to save the thousand little ways to save the planet yeah and it was amazing this was just four years ago um three four years ago and we were so very you know the radio producer and I about ever saying the word climate change. He said, mm-hmm. I will lose my job. I can't do that. Yeah. And so I thought, 
wow, then let's get around it. Let's talk about plastic. You know, let's talk about yeah. worm farms. You know, let's talk about. So I think the impact in this, it's only local, you know, in this little mm -hmm. town, but people came and said, oh, I like listening to you. You know, like that gave me an idea. And so in a non-offensive way, I tried to sort of teach, but I do think it had impact, you know, on, um, and I'm from Germany, you know, like I'm not a local mm -hmm. even after 20 years. Yeah. So I can feel the change though in, uh, just consensus that climate change is happening. A lot of farmers now are listening and a lot of farmers are listening to regenerative principles as well. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting times. <laughs> yes. So, so what, <laughs> what um, prompted you to write a book? Um, I found myself talking the same story to every client that comes through my door. Mm -hmm. So when I really got it, that climate change is real, when I then learned and connected the dot that climate change is in a big way related to farming, and we'll talk about that in a in a webinar, you know, how much actually is uh, agriculture, the way we farm, the culprit in climate change, it's actually bigger than fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. You know, the landmass that we are destroying on the planet is massive through agriculture. So then... I am, a, as a medical person interested in nutrition, started to connect the dots where disease comes from. Um, in this little town, so we are in, in northern New South Wales, in Australia, three hours inland, in a cattle farming country. And just, just here, it starts with big cropping. Uh, cropping? Do you mean know yeah. what I mean with cropping? Yeah. Yes. So um, cotton, wheat, soy, Sorghum, Milo, uh, yeah, sorghum, canola, you know, all, all the normal culprits. This all happens here in this area. And then we have got a big bunch of rather low socioeconomic people living in this town that go to, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken or McDonald's. And there's not super much around here. So for an hour and a half, there is no other big town. So it's a, it's like a little island, you know, my my little island where I'm watching, you know, what happens in the coming through my consult room. And it just started to be more and more and more the people, people more so than pets, you know, with diseases. Mm -hmm. So the stories became thicker and thicker. My child, oh, I've just got a child has just got been diagnosed with autism. Um, my two of my three children have got ADHD. Um, my mother has cancer. My sister has cancer. My mother has Alzheimer's. You know, it's always the same diseases that come through the door through, with the people. And as a vet, mm -hmm. you talk to people. Yeah. And as a part of the community, you're like, my kids have gone through, you know, school with their kids. So suddenly you have the teenager years and they suddenly have um, suicide and anxiety. And then they grow up a little bit more and suddenly they're in their early 20s and they've got endometriosis. And you think, what is endometriosis? I have never heard of that when, when I was young. Mm -hmm. Polycystic ovaries, then um, courses, reproduction courses, you know, and the professor would, you know, lecturer would say, one in three men is infertile, one in four women is infertile. Having nurses that go through infertility crisis, you know, so it just added up more and more and more and more. Then, as you know, as a vet, we treat a lot of allergies in dogs, and we try to treat a lot of tumors. Yeah. And then you think, why is that? And then 
the real aha moment I had a few years ago when I listened to Zach Bush. I don't know if you know yes, your American fellow man, Zach Bush, yeah. yeah. And I listened to him about glyphosate. And before that, Roundup was always around there. You know, like I never really got to the bottom of it, though. You know, where was the problem with it? Always all the other agrochemicals. And then when that got triggered and he talked about Roundup and how it creates, you know, how it destroys the tight junctions and how it creates leaky gut and blah, 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 blah. That's when I then really started, you know, to look, oh, my God, there it is, you know. And yeah. that's when I really started to look at food. But why did I write my book? To come back to your uh, question. I started to write a book because I would talk like trying to convince people to save the planet and themselves with me and their pets with every single client. And then I thought, I can't do that. You know, I just have to write this down and then I can just give people this copy of my book. And then they can read that and then we can start talking, you know, because it's really hard in a 10 or 15, 20 minute consultation to throw that arc, you know, between health and food and just throw it at them. You know, like, you know, gluten and glyphosate will destroy your tight junctions and you get leaky gut. And then that might just have something to do with your dog's inflamed ears. Yeah. Yeah. And your otitis externa that will come back, you know, take it off food and blah, blah, blah. So after a while you think, I actually need more time. You know, these concepts are big concepts. They are um, the biggest things to my mind on the planet right now. Destruction of health, destruction of planet. You know, so there they are. And then when I got the connection between the two, that everybody that is eating organic food actually heals the planet and, and the body's ability to heal. You know, then I just thought, yeah, there's some, for a long time, I didn't think that I had anything Everybody knows this, right? You know, everybody knows what's mm-hmm. happening and it's nothing special. And for sure, the doctors, you know, the human medical doctors will know about Roundup. For sure, they will factor that in. For sure, they will know about gluten or about what we have done, you know, to the wheat and the milling process. And turns out they don't. Yeah. And then I realized we as veterinarians, at least we can talk, you know, like you, even you and me talking now hot topics you know we will talk hopefully about cattle in feedlots we talk about monsanto we talk about Bayer. we talk about the medical profession going in a direction where they treat symptoms and not the real reason of disease you know these are big topics that as a medical professional i think you have to be very careful you bet um maybe i'm wrong but that's my feeling you know that I can have freedom to talk um, and have maybe a broader view on, you know, that that big arc from soil or plants, over animals, over climate to health, to know about ruminants and sheep and all the different life forms and all the different things that we are treating as jack of all trades. Yeah. Yeah, like we get a different perspective on planet life and life, mm-hmm. you know, than just doing humans. So I'm a bit driven. That's why I wrote the book. Very good. Well, I think that's a good spot for us to leave it because we've, I think I've managed to talk you, talk you into a couple of webinars for us and that this will mm-hmm. be a good jumping off point for that. So, yeah. yeah. So thanks so much. It was great hearing your story. 
Um, we're going to be looking forward to the webinars that you're going to present. If you can just real quick, tell us where people can find the book in the meantime. Yeah. Um, can you see that? Yes. The food solution. So it's called the food solution uh, yeah. by, by me, Dr. Gundula Rautz. You can get it on Amazon. Um, just yeah, go onto Amazon, punch it in and you'll find it. And if you can't, you know, then just give me uh, an email and yeah, and I can always send you one, you know, but yeah, it's, um, and I've got a podcast that I'm just restarting with the same name, The Food Solution, again, you know, where those bigger topics are discussed, meat, not meat, you know, <laughs> blah, blah. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you, Dr. Rhodes. And we hope to talk more soon. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world-leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications, industry-recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence-based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases. And whether you're a veterinarian, veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.